Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and to be in right relationship with one another and with ourselves and with this planet. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And one of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by turning to one another and welcoming one another here. We're not quite in person yet. We hope we'll be in person soon. But right now, we greet the divine in the other in the comments on the platform in which we are watching if we have comments. Join me as we light our chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. These are the words of neurologist, philosopher, poet, and author, Debashis Mida. To create inner peace and harmony, meditate like a tree. To bloom like a flower, sing your song with silence and love. This congregation has a mission that it wrote for itself. It guides us as we move into the future together. We like it. We wrote it on the wall. We say it together every Sunday. Please say it with me. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. If you want to know what we mean by the beloved community, just go to the King Center website and look up their definition of the beloved community. It's beautiful and inspiring, and that's what we're going for. We want to help. After we say our mission, we have a moment for beloved community. And this week, I want you to know about an artist named Theaster Gates. He lives on the south side of Chicago. And as he was thinking of what to do with his life, he has a degree in urban planning. He could have moved to another neighborhood, but what he decided to do was start with the neighborhood where he lived. He said, this is my neighborhood. This is home. And so he bought the building across the street and refurbished it and made it into an art space. And then he bought the building next to that and made it into an archive space where he has all the old ebony magazines and other uh, artifacts of black culture. Then he bought a bank, um, an old derelict falling down bank building that was in his neighborhood of the south side of Chicago and made it into an art space and an archive space and a library space and it's just what he's done with his neighborhood is amazing this clip is about his art I remember the first time that I fired a wood kiln I remember just this feeling of camaraderie and friendship as we fired the kiln. And I remember thinking clay made it possible for us to have to spend 24 hours with each other. Often I'm trying to figure out 
how do you create the social situation without being preoccupied with the creation of a social situation? And the way you do that is you put beautiful things and beautiful people together and let them do their thing. The Black Vessel, in this way, is the celebration of the relationship between vessels and gathering. You make beautiful vessels, and those vessels will cause people to gather. It is also the empty vessel waiting to be filled with things that are waiting to become the outpour for others. The studio really is the place where things are converted, where value is reassigned. In the studio, clay allows me the most play, you know, that in a way the fire is making all these other decisions that I can't make. And so I really enjoy just losing the burden of a certain kind of art, art historical narrative. And I get to just make things. Let all the meaning stuff happen after. We're at about 2,000 degrees and it's hot. It's this point where all of the alchemical work is starting to happen. It's just one of my one of my favorite activities. To watch all of this seemingly unusable stuff become fuel to make beautiful things. small tasks but there are moments when it, the tasks accumulate and they mean more than their parts so I try to light the kiln with as much passion as I do making the object as much passion as I do delivering the speech I know every day that it's as I like it it's as it's supposed to be morning. Today's book is not so much a story as it is a meditation. It invites us to experience what it might be like to be a tree. And as we experience what strengthens a tree, we can begin to experience what might strengthen ourselves as people and as a community. Let's try it. Be a Tree by Maria Jan Ferrari, illustrated by Felicita Sala. A tree. Stand tall. Stretch your branches to the sun. Let your roots curl, coil in the soil to ground you. Your spine is a trunk, giving you shape, holding your crown, channeling your food. Your skin is bark, Dead on the outside, 
protecting what's within. Beneath your bark are layers such as sapwood, carrying nutrients to help you grow bigger and taller, and heartwood, strong as bone, to support you. In your heart's center is your pith, keeper of nutrients when you were a sapling. High above, your crown may be round, weeping, pyramidal, broad. Let it spread, shine overhead, collecting sun, filtering dust, shading your roots on hot days. Wave your leaves in the wind, breathe in air, drink in sun, let them fuel you and the world. See yourself, branches and leaves above, roots below, trunk in between. You are a tree. And now look around you. You are not alone. You are one of many trees. Our roots twine with fungi, joining all trees in the forest together. We talk share food, store water, divide resources, alert each other to danger. A wood wide web of information. We purify the air, we anchor the soil, preventing erosion. Our dome of joined crowns swings and straightens, slowing high winds. Our bodies and branches and roots are homes to birds and mammals and insects. We sustain ecosystems. Immigrant trees, away from their native habitats, are vulnerable. But together, a forest of trees is strong. Mother trees nurse young trees. Old trees shade new trees. Strong trees shelter weak trees. Healthy trees help sick trees. A family, a community, a country, a cosmos. There is enough for all. So be a tree, for together we are a forest. Glennon Doyle is a white, queer, American author known for her books Untamed, Love Warrior, and Carry On Warrior. She is the founder and president of Together Rising, an all-women-led nonprofit organization supporting women, families, and children in crisis. This excerpt is from her book Untamed. Stop pleasing, start living, a toolkit for modern life. In it, she writes, When I meditate there in the deep, I could sense something circulating inside me. It was a knowing. I can know things down at this level that I can't on the chaotic surface. Down here, when I pose a question about my life, I sense a nudge. The nudge guides me towards the next right thing, one thing at a time. That was how I began to know what to do next. That was how I began to walk through my life more clearly, solid and steady.
Let us now enter into an attitude of prayer and meditation where we might let our thoughts just drift, where we might just watch them go as if they were clouds over the sun, where we might find a quiet space in our mind to ask for clarity, to root ourselves deep into the heart of compassion, to feel ourselves wrapped in the arms of love. Please enter into the quiet with me. You're invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope, memory, or determination. to go to a Unitarian family camp called SUSE, Southeastern UU Summer Institute. It's in the mountains of North Carolina now. It used to be in Virginia. And I was on the New River in Virginia trying to learn how to canoe. It had been kind of droughty, and so the river was a bit bony. But I was learning how to turn around, and I was learning how to steer, and I was in a canoe by myself. And our instructor was upriver a little bit and um, instructing from there like this. And so I was trying to get up to where she was and I was paddling but there wasn't very much water so my paddles were not all the way in the water. 
and I was paddling, she said, paddle harder. And so I paddled harder, of course. And finally she just laughed and said, you know you can get out of the canoe and just drag it up here. I was torn between laughing with her and being mad that I made such a fool of myself. Our culture is a culture that says, try hard, give it 115%. It's uh, 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration, and all that might be true. Until it's not true. And sometimes we try too hard, and we push too hard, and we poke at things too much, and we take on things that aren't our things to take on. And we try to take over when it's really not our job to take over. This is the sixth sermon on the Buddhist Eightfold Path as I understand it. I am a white lady of a certain age. And I have had an encounter with Buddhism, but I am not an expert in any kind of a way. And I'm just telling you about my encounter with what I've read and learned about the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. So this is the sixth facet of the path that we're going to call right effort making a right effort so one of the things we know from the very first facet of the path right view is that life is difficult and that no one is spared and that we are all of a nature to get sick and we are all of a nature to die and nobody gets to skip that part of life But there's a lot of life other than getting sick and dying. And so what do you do if you want to be uh, happier and feel freer? And what Buddhism says is just try this. You don't have to have any speck of faith at all. You just try it and notice to see whether it works for you. One of my favorite Buddhist teachers or teachers of Buddhism is named uh, Eric Kolvig. And he says this sums up the sixth part of the Eightfold Path right effort try to do your spiritual practice but don't try too hard and never give up I love that try but don't try too hard and never give up we have talked about different spiritual practices in this congregation we've talked about the practice of gratitude We've talked about the practice of meditation where you follow your breath or where you walk and be still or where you find a still place inside in another way and feel yourself dissolve into the universe like a spoonful of sugar into a cup of tea. We've talked about loving kindness and praying. The prayer goes like this. The loving kindness prayer. You've done this before. You think about yourself. And you say, may I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. And you pray that for yourself for about six months to build a firm foundation. And then you begin to pray it for those you love. And eventually you get to where you're praying it for people you don't really even know. And then the final exam of loving kindness is when you pray it for someone against whom you have a resentment. 
it doesn't change them, but it changes you, which might make it seem like it changes them. So those spiritual practices are among those I urge you to take into your life. And why do we do a spiritual practice? It's so that we can have a clear mind and a full heart. So we can feel ourselves rooted in compassion and held in the arms of love. So that we can see ourselves clearly and see what is ridiculousness and see what is real. Do you do your practice every day? Oh, yes. Do you beat yourself up when you miss a day or two or eight or ten? No. You gently bring yourself back to the practice and you start again. Because when we push ourselves too hard, when we try to get to that yoga mat every single day, whether we're sick or tired or it's midnight or whatever we do, our spiritual practice, it can help us or it can make us kind of rigid and judgy either to ourselves or others. Or we can become a martyr and heave great sighs and need admiration from other people about how hard we're driving ourselves because, as I've said before, our culture loves it when you drive yourself hard. But it makes you an unpleasant companion in life, which is counterproductive. So when we're embattled with the world or when we're embattled within ourselves, we're not at our best. This doesn't mean we don't try to change the world. No. But it does mean we choose our stance toward the awfulness in ourselves or in the world. We choose our stance. I know that Zen masters laugh a lot. And I wonder about that because, you know, the world is just awful. But you choose your attitude and you focus your effort on rowing your little canoe. You focus your effort on not paddling in the air, but paddling deep in the water when there is water. And if there's not water, getting out and pulling your little canoe. So some stances toward the world and its awfulness and its wonderfulness, some stances waste a lot of energy and some don't. Some are not right effort and some are. So the things that waste a lot of effort are these. When you are just outraged without action, just outraged that things are not the way they should be, or when they're not fair. And it's good to have a sense of the way things should be, and it's good to have a sense of uh, how you might be able to get there and what your vision that you want for that situation and start paddling toward it. But if your vision includes how other people should be like. You might think, my mother should be a lot less judgmental of me. Or my father should not talk so much and he should listen more. Or my brother should not invest in these get-rich-quick schemes. He's not going to get rich quick. He's just got to get a job and do the right blah, 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 blah. It is a big waste of effort and therefore not right effort to try to make other people do right, to try to make them be who they're not. Now, if it's elected officials who aren't doing right, then we make noise, we get up in their faces, we do actions, we vote them out. But if it's your family, there's going to be no voting out. 
And you can get up in their faces, but then they cut you off and you're alone again. So we need to paddle where there's water. We need to spend our effort doing things that are not a waste of effort. If we are trying to make other people do the right thing, or if we're trying to change other people, it's like we're taking our effort and pouring it out on the ground. That is a waste, and it's not right effort. So we try to get in a quiet place. We try to get in a centered place. We try to get in a place where we're working well with other people, and where we can join our voices to others in order to make a good difference and where we can trust other people to be who they are, not who we want them to be. Another big waste of effort is to try to do something when you don't know what to do. You just flail around, paddling through the air again. You don't know what to do. One of my wonderful counseling mentors used to say, don't just do something, stand there. Good advice for when you don't know what to do. We also waste energy when we take on other people's problems when it's really their problem to solve. If they come to us and go, oh my goodness, I have such a problem, and it's like they dump it in our lap, and they don't say, here's what I've tried, or I need help with this, this, or this, or they just dump it on you, we are not supposed to pick it up. Because it's a problem the universe has given them to learn from, I think. I could be wrong about that. But, so we say to them something like, okay, that sure is a problem. What are you going to do? And then we can help them work toward a solution, but we don't just pick it up and run with it ourselves. That is a waste of effort, and it's a waste of a good problem. All right. We also waste energy when we try too hard not to make mistakes. I know. We're Unitarian Universalists, and we hate making mistakes. We like to get an A-plus on everything, and we preferably would like to get an A-plus without working too hard. But sometimes our fear of making mistakes makes us overly cautious or overly rigid. And sometimes when you're parenting or when you're friending or when you're being someone's adult child or when you're working in uh, activism or when you're working at work all and when you're working in a relationship sometimes you just have to get it wrong and then make it right if you can you just have to get it wrong and learn from that and if you're not scared to get it wrong my goodness you might be able to learn some amazing things. So all of those are some of the ways that we can waste our right effort. Where what I want you to think about is doing a spiritual practice as many days as you can, trying, but not too hard, but not giving up, and just making sure that your paddles are in the water and that you're not paddling air. Join me as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. 
These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This is a new benediction to us, so I would ask you to sing along if you know it. Maybe you do. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, yeah. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.